Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation for 25 years partnering with donors and nonprofits and communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. In the years following the collapse of the cod industry in Newfoundland, local communities and tourism officials have created opportunities for visitors to learn and experience how codfish influence the culture and landscape of that portion of eastern Canada. And this morning we have some guests in the studio who can help us think about whether some of those lessons might be ripe for Maine. We're glad to welcome um, to our studios Natty's, Natalie Springle is um, with the uh, University of Maine Sea Grant Program, a colleague of mine. Glad to welcome you, Natalie. Thanks, Ron. Glad to be here. Fred Cook is with the Down East and Acadia Regional Tourism, um, uh, affectionately known, often known as DART. Welcome to you, Fred. Thank you. Nice to be here. And Sherry Churchill is a consultant. Her firm is called Savory Bay Environmental Planning and Project Management, and uh, she's working on a number of nature-based tourism initiatives. Welcome to you, Sherry. Thank you. Good morning. Why don't each of you describe a little bit of your uh, backgrounds and, and how you kind of came to this work. Natalie, you've got a, a great story of, of starting out as a sea kayak guide and then moving into the, to the notion that we could kind of help educate people about opportunities for ecotourism. Um, yeah, I did start out as a sea kayak guide. I was a guide out of Bar Harbor for about 10 years and then... Um, was had the good fortune of being hired by the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, where I became an extension uh, person f and have been doing that for the last 10 years almost um, in the areas of sustainable tourism and working waterfronts. Great. And we'll come, um, come to your story about uh, taking a sabbatical leave to learn about what they're doing in Newfoundland. So we'll come back to you. Uh, Fred Cook, uh, a little bit of your background. How did you um, land in Maine and get involved in tourism promotion, which you've been doing for a good, good while? I have. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, my wife and I moved here in uh, 1991 uh, after I had retired from uh, uh, AT&T, and uh, we opened a little herb shop. It's called Chickadee Creek Still Room, uh, which we uh, operated for about 15 years. And, of course, at that time we joined the, uh, the Scudic Chamber, and uh, as a result of being uh, on, the, uh, on the board of directors, I was invited to a meeting in, uh, I think it was 1995, that Bar Harbor and... Um, and Ellsworth Chambers had put together uh, just to get the chambers in Hancock County together to see if the, there was some way we could leverage uh, uh, the the strength of numbers. It, it, it ultimately uh, became DART, 
and we we ultimately included uh, the uh, the chambers in uh, in Washington County also. Right. And uh, as a result of that, somehow along the line, I got appointed uh, to be the executive director, and I've held that job ever since. Uh, I was also uh, appointed to the, uh, the Tourism Commission as a representative for uh, uh, Hancock and Washington counties, and I, and I still serve in that position. Great. And Sherry, um, when I first met you, you were with the, with the Hancock County Planning Commission doing some wonderful work. I remember um, some of the work that you did with hazardous waste um, chemicals, arranging those kinds of things, and now you're on your own with Savory Bay. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, I was born um, in Arista County, and I was um, in Arista County pretty much until I graduated from college. Um, I studied environmental science. Um, and like most young people who grew up in the state of Maine, I left immediately <laughs> afterwards. And um, I spent some time um, in Boston, um, a wonderful year in Boston. Joined the Peace Corps, um, continued on doing environmental work. Um, came back, spent some time on the Appalachian Trail, <laughs> all kinds of environmental, just wonderful experiences. Um, then graduate school in public affairs um, in Indiana and found my way through a really funny series of events that would be a long story um, back here in Maine. Mm. And um, still far from where I grew up, but um, I love this region. So um, I did start working with the Hancock County Planning Commission. I was an environmental planner there for approximately five years until I decided to venture off on my own. Um, I still have a relationship with the Hancock County Planning Commission, which I appreciate. Um, and got involved in, in tourism um, work um, through my first project as a consultant. That was an experiential tourism um, project evaluation with the Washington Hancock Community Agency, their Incubator Without Walls program. Um, and through that, I met Harold Klossy, who's the executive director of Sunrise County Economic Council. Um, he used to work with the WHCA. Um, this project, um, that I'm currently working on this big project, the Nature-Based Tourism Initiative with the main Office of Tourism um, became available. Harold and I applied, um, and, and that's how I'm working on this project. However, my work with the Vacation Land Resources Committee, which Natalie and Fred both participate in, um, started when I was working with the Hancock County Planning Commission and I was trying to develop a large-scale composting project down on Mount Desert Island. Um, it, ne it never quite got off the ground, um, but I, I learned um, through that project about the vacation, I'm sorry, the Destiny 2010 plan, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later. Um, and all of that fits um, supported the project mm. very, very nicely. And so that's how I became involved with the Vacation Land Resources Committee. Um, and I'm still there today after Great. several years. Great. Well, we'll talk more about how these fit together. But I want to come uh, back to Natalie and ask her a little bit about um, her sabbatical leave that took her to Newfoundland. Um, Newfoundland is a, um, a place not too far away um, in, in uh, both culture and, and distance, um, but it's a place not too many people have visited. Yeah, it's, um, it's reasonably far away. It's about a day's <laughs> drive to the northern tip of Cape Breton on uh, the northern tip of Nova Scotia, and then you take a ferry across the water, which is an overnight experience, um, and then you're in Newfoundland. But then to get to the capital of Newfoundland, which is St. John's, you need to drive for another day. So it's not next door. <laughs> um, 
My uh, my sort of route to get to Newfoundland, I, as I mentioned, been, had been working with Sea Grant and been working on the coast of Maine, the Gulf of Maine, and the Canadian Maritimes, um, really since I graduated from college in 1991. Um, I went to College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor. So for the better part of 15 or so years, I had been really immersed in coastal issues, looking at um, sort of both the roles of fisheries and tourism in coastal towns and how they're related to um, people's sense of place where they live in coastal regions um, really developed a love and a passion for uh, the coastal environment and the people that live and and have been here for generations. Um, So that's been a lot of what my work at Sea Grant has been connected to. I I work in coastal community development, as I mentioned, with fisheries and tourism folks up and down the coast. Um, And I... One of the great benefits of working for the University of Maine is that I had the opportunity to apply for sabbatical to go to Newfoundland and look at coastal tourism and fisheries issues. And they're particularly um, poignant up there because uh, Newfoundland really grew up like much of the northeast coast of North America um, because of the cod industry. Um, But the cod industry in Newfoundland was to uh, a degree much more, uh, much to a much more important degree in terms of the development of the place and the people and sort of the culture and the economy of the place. Um, and in 1992, there was a moratorium on cod fishing because of plummeting cod populations. Um, so overnight, something like 20% of the population of Newfoundlanders were put out of work. Um, and there was an incredible ripple effect on all aspects of society, not just economy, but um, culture and society society and really people's sense of being and emotional space, psychology. We so, just imagine what would happen um, to, the, to the population of Maine, to the coast of Maine, if the lobster um, exactly. collapsed. And it would be that kind of emotional, economic, um, environmental impact that we'd be talking about. Yeah, and that was actually one of the reasons why I was really interested in looking at Newfoundland, because I felt that there were some really strong parallels with Maine in terms of uh, particularly on the marine resource and reliance on really sort of a single species. And in the last 10 or so years, so much of our marine resources in Maine have really zeroed in on almost exclusively lobster. Um, not entirely, but almost. So I was interested in looking at what does a community um, do to sort of bounce back from su- such a catastrophic event as the closure of the entire fishery. Um, so I was looking at... Um, what the role was that tourism is playing uh, in Newfoundland since the Cod Moratorium in 1992. So I had sort of a finite time frame, about 15, 16 years uh, at the time of the sabbatical to look at um, sort of the overall impact of the closure of the industry, the fishing industry, and the subsequent uh, development of the tourism industry. And and when I, when you, you've you've explained this in some public forum and and. Uh, um, my sense was that it started pretty slowly, um, but now um, there's a kind of sense it's, it's taken hold a bit, and that's been a combination of local initiative and uh, federal government support. It, exactly, yeah. Um, one of the tourism officials uh, from the equivalent of the main office of tourism in Newfoundland, their equivalent agency, said to me that um, the Cod Moratorium essentially la- launched the modern tourism era in Newfoundland, where um, it was very much uh, government policy that after the moratorium there was going to be, you know, sort of a reliance on two to three industries to try to get the province to bounce back. Um, And one of them was tourism. But it took a little bit of time. And um, the important thing to recognize is that tourism will never, ever 
ever replace the cod industry in Newfoundland. It just nothing ever will because it was such an important part of all aspects of culture and society. Um, but tourism has provided some communities, some people, and some regions with a boost, um, not just in the economy, but in, again, that sense of being um, incredible amounts of depression and difficult mm. issues resulted from the moratorium, including lots of po people leaving, like Sherry leaving Maine, lots of the youth um, from Newfoundland left, um, and 50% of most of the outports, which is the small villages out of the capital. Um, so tourism in some areas is, um, people in Newfoundland look to tourism with a certain amount of hope. Um, so there, there is, uh, there's not the skepticism that we sense here that tourism will sort of turn, change the, um, way of life in potentially a negative way that I think some people in Maine might fear, not all, but some. Um, up there, tourism is really looked at as an opportunity for um, helping outports kind of bounce back. Well, we, we probably, um, because of Newfoundland's geographic location, um, it won't see the kind of, of uh, um, in-migration um, that the coast of Maine has seen over the last 30, 40 years, um, more intense perhaps in the last 20. Give us some examples of the kinds of things that have connected um, Newfoundland's, Newfoundland's uh, cod fishing heritage with some of these tourism initiatives, because I think that's the niche that you're particularly interested in, and we'll talk more about um, here on the coast of Maine, um, that kind of marine heritage, I guess is what we might call it. Yeah, um, in, uh, in Newfoundland, many, many, many proportionally the majority of the tourism initiatives have uh, really zeroed in on uh, the marine heritage, um, primarily because um, many successful tourism initiatives really, you, and, and many places in Newfoundland have done this, you sort of start with an assessment of what do you have on the ground. Rather than creating something completely new, like a brand new resort or something like that, you can take a look at what you have in your community. What are your assets that you have in your community? And Newfoundlanders and many villages and towns really found that some of the assets that they had were... Um, related to their important marine heritage and and the natural resources that they have in Newfoundland, the whales, the, um, you know, the forests, the coastline, the sea, um, and, and sort of, and much of that um, sort of coastal, the natural area and the um, the marine heritage piece, the fisheries history, history are integrally connected. And so um, in some, some of the examples, they really were able to recognize that that was what set them out from, um, from other areas. And so Many of the examples that kind of stood out for me as the models uh, in Newfoundland, and certainly not all the initiatives worked, but the ones that did, um, started really from the ground where people who lived there, who were residents, uh, were sort of looking at the future. What do we want our community to be? What, what do we want our success story to be? How do we want to make sure, in their case, that we don't close up shop and the community closes and the post office closes and the school closes? Um, they, how do we avoid these um, these sort of... Uh, catastrophic futures mm. and really kind of pull up our bootstraps and make it work. And what they were finding was that that some of the tourism initiatives were an opportunity to help them move towards um, sort of achieving the vision that they wanted for the future. Um, but tourism is only one of the spokes in the wheel to help them move forward. Some particular examples that you recall that you've showed slides about? That, yeah, that, uh, yeah. One that I just find particularly exciting because I'm a boater uh, is um, on the island of Fogo on the northeastern uh, shore of Newfoundland. 
there has been a long history of boat building. And much like Maine, the boat building industry has faced some challenges, um, particularly in this economic climate. Um, and about uh, maybe four years ago, um, there were some folks who um, developed uh, who recognized the importance of the boat building history for the fishery and for sort of the local culture. And so they developed a race from one island to another island. It's not a race for the faint of heart. It's about 13 miles of open sea crossing from one island to another. Um, but the catch is that this isn't race like any other races. You have to race in one of the, the punts, traditional punt, that was made on one of the islands. Mm. And so it completely revitalized an interest in boat building um, through this sort of venture that that now is recognized as sort of one of the top 10 go-to opportunities in Newfoundland is to go and and see what happens at this race and the ripple effect has been now boat building is is in the school curriculum it's being taught by some of the old-time boat builders um, in the in the school shop programs and so I met some teenagers who whose grandfather was building this one kid his grandfather used to be a boat builder and he had never had any boat building interest before and now he's He's totally excited and he wants to make it his future. And he was just one of the kids that I met who um, sort of had this this revelation that the the way that his family's life was, you know, 50 years ago might still be something that's kind of cool for him to look to. Great, Doc. Uh, we'll come back in just a minute and we'll ask you about a tapestry. Um, but your turn to uh, talk of the towns here on WERU's Community Radio. And uh, we're talking about marine heritage tourism. We have some guests in the studio. You've just heard from Natalie Springle of the University of Maine Sea Grant Program. We also have Fred Cook of the Down East and Acadia Regional Tourism uh, Board, DART, and Sherry Churchill, a consultant on nature-based tourism. Um, you can participate as well if you've got questions or comments or your own stories, perhaps about Newfoundland or perhaps about marine heritage here on the coast of Maine, its potential for tourism. You could call us at one 866 6259378. Natalie, one of the images that sticks with me is is this tapestry that people began to create in one of the communities one of the outports of Newfoundland. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, that was a, a really neat project that I learned about. Um, it was on the north shore of Newfoundland on the northern peninsula um, in a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere, two hours down a gravel road. Um, so sort of a commitment to go there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, there was a group of women who partnered up with um, a French artist um, who happened to enjoy vacationing and painting in, in Newfoundland. Um, and they, um, sort of through a series of events, um, they uh, ended up, the artist, uh, I think his name is Jean-Claude Roy from France, he painted a panorama of the history of Newfoundland, sort of from, you know, early times, uh, in, you know, the native people way back in the day through European development and up until the present day, um, uh, and brought the history of Newfoundland, all of it very maritime based again, um, to life through this tapestry. And what they ended up doing was they were, um, the project uh, ended up capturing the excitement of a lot of different folks, including some federal money. Um, and so through the, perp through the use of some of these federal and state or provincial grants, they were able to fund um, uh, seven or eight women during the course of multiple summers to do the to do the actual tapestry work. To so develop he started this. with a painting. He's, he's they worked together to okay. develop this painting. Um, he worked with the local people to get a sense of what was the history that they felt should be really right, captured in this right. tapestry. And then the local women were hired to do the actual embroidery of the mm. tapestry. And mm. what was kind of neat about this project is oftentimes when you look at these sort of um, maritime heritage projects, a lot of times they're they're commemorating the past, 
um, and sort of staying in the past. What was neat about this particular project is that not only were they were looking in the past, but they were coming up with a completely innovative product. And the tapestry itself was actually using a method of tapestry. And I know nothing about tapestry, but <laughs> <laughs> I learned that it was a method that was not traditional to Newfoundland. It was actually a method that they had learned from some Scottish women who came over to visit. Um, and so they were sort of incorporating these new techniques from different parts of the world into a product that was depicting their traditional way of life. So it was an interesting uh, sort of looking forward and bringing in new ideas as well as building on what they had with their own local mm. initiatives. Mm. Well, Fr Fred or Sherry, um, what strikes you as kind of um, interesting or intriguing about Natalie's story and what way might we be thinking about in terms of Maine's coast? Um, Sherry, you want to start? Well, I, I guess I posed a question to Natalie. Um, one of the things I'm really curious about is is the funding from the government. Is there government support for this program that was that was new or? Um? There, it's that's a really pertinent question. Um, there, uh, Canada is really different in its support for the arts and for um, tourism initiatives. Uh, much more support from the government level than we see here in the states. Um, so uh, there was there's a certain amount of federal and provincial funding that is going into grants uh, for uh, local level tourism initiatives. So many, I would say, in fact, all of the tourism initiatives that I um, sort of looked at as case studies had had uh, benefited from some of these grants. Um, so in that sense, um, it's a different sort of framework than we have here because we have a much limiter pool, much more limited pool of money. Um, but where the the projects that were successful, and again, caution that some were not, but the ones that really were successful were the ones that um, started first at the community level with members of the community who really were passionate about their place and were looking at how can we as a community move ourselves forward into the future and then recognizing in some cases that one way to help them do that could be through tourism initiatives. And so again, you started, uh, or those communities started with a vision of what they wanted for their future. Absolutely. They wanted this kind of small, vibrant community. And they said, well, what's our vision of how the arts and, and how exactly. um, these kinds of tourism projects might provide a piece of that? So that's what I'm looking for in terms of what you're doing um, here in, in Down East Maine. What are examples of where communities are saying, here's an idea, let's follow that, because it takes us to the community we want for the future, Fred? Well, I, I think most notable in in my mind, and Natalie, Natalie and I have talked about this, I, I, I think it's Eastport. Mm. Uh, Eastport is uh, a group called Eastport for Pride, mm -hmm. and then there's uh, another venture, the Commons, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the things that they've been able to do over the past couple of years, or maybe a little longer, uh, have been amazing. And, and it has been, uh, I believe, just about all... Uh, internal from within the community and the support uh, uh, has been just just wonderful and and they made some they made some great progress and Natalie and I have discussed this and there are certainly other places in this region in the two counties um, that could use a, a, a little infusion of of some excitement and and we're hoping that we can somehow uh, maybe make a model use, using what she learned in Newfoundland uh, and perhaps basing on what uh, what Eastport did, see if we can apply that to some other communities that might be uh, in need and interested in doing it. Yeah, I've heard the town manager of Eastport um, um, describe Eastport as a place which has a strong maritime um, kind of history. Absolutely. And the port is really important to them. 
but tourism is really important to them. And tourism around some of these initiatives, I think of, of Hugh French at the Tides Institute, the wonderful kind of inter-border um, connection around the arts. Yes. I think of uh, the Sport Arts Council, which has really uh, made arts um, alive in that in very tiny community, but uh, drawing people from the region, not just to um, bring tourists in, but to create that sense of pride in their, their own community. So eSport is a great example. Yeah, I think it is yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. So you're all involved in something um, called a fisheries trail that I think has echoes. Tell us a little, who would like to start that story about the fisheries trail? Uh, I Natalie? can do that. Um, Natalie okay. has the <laughs> lead on that, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, the, about, about 10 years ago, um, Sunrise County Economic Council and some of the local chambers in Washington County uh, came together and um, with some of the other local organizations to create uh, a Down East Fisheries Trail, which is um, a series of <laughs> about 20 sites uh, in the Down East region um, whose purpose is to educate um, both visitors and locals about the history and the heritage of fishing in the Washington County region. That particular trail, there's four sites with signs and the rest are sort of a brochure that you take yourself around and look at. And it was intended really as um, a, a, an educational process to uh, initially to really help locals maintain their connection with the fisheries heritage of the region, but also um, enable visitors to come and explore and learn a more about the fisheries. And so uh, it kind of went dormant um, through typical lack of funding, people, staff changes and that kind of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so uh, now um, we, through the Vacation Land Resources Committee and Sunrise County Economic Council and the University of Maine Sea Grant Program and our partners um, have just received a little bit of funding from the Maine Community Foundation, both the Hancock and the Washington County funds, to sort of revive that effort um, in Washington County and to extend it into Hancock County, recognizing that our fisheries heritage in, is so integral to both counties. Um, and again, the purpose is to maintain that connection to our fisheries heritage, but also to showcase it as um, something that uh, visitors can enjoy. And it's kind of part of a larger nature-based tourism initiative in the Down East region. Um, so just um, so listeners can have some examples of some of the sites that might be included maybe in the earlier effort or, or in, in an upcoming effort, give us a flavor of some of those sites that you were going to have, have <coughs> people visit. Yeah, um, where there's uh, there's a series of sites already identified in Washington County, and we might add some more. And for the and they might include, like for example, the Jonesport waterfront, is a site um, in and of itself because it's such an interesting working waterfront. Um, and um, we might have, for example. Uh, a fish hatchery or um, a particular working waterfront or a marine-related museum. Um, and I'm sort of intentionally not being super specific okay. about the sites because we're hoping to um, get a lot of public input from folks involved in fisheries and tourism and locals to get a sense from them about what are the sites that we really value in the Down East region as um, places that are representative <clears throat> of who um, the people of Down East Maine are and what their fisheries heritage is so we really want to invite members of the public um, to help determine what are the places that should be highlighted. So um, this is in some some ways similar to the Ice Age Trail, 
um, you know, that's been created to kind of get people to look behind the scenes at what's here. They see the obvious. They see driving down the road. They see the villages and so on. But they might not see what's behind the scenes. Ice Age Trail, um, looking at our geological past, and now this notion of a fisheries trail that invites us to see what, what, what built this community and what is still building this community. And that, that's the piece, actually, that what is still building the community that I think is really exciting about the fisheries trail, because, and that's that fisheries heritage is past and present. Mm. Um, so we're interested in looking not just back, but forward as well. Okay, and and that and that's something else that uh, uh, Natalie mentioned how the uh, uh, Newfoundlanders uh, looked at their assets. Mm. Basically, that's what we're encouraging. I like to call it competitive advantages, um, things that that we have that other areas don't have, and a lot of it lies in in that heritage uh, and the authenticity of this of this region. Great. Well, we've got a phone call. I'll remind listeners that they're tuned to WERU and Talk of the Towns. We're talking about marine heritage tourism, lessons from Newfoundland and elsewhere. Um, Natalie Sprinkle is with us from University of Maine Sea Grant, Fred Cook of DART, the Down East and Acadia Regional Tourism uh, Board, and Sherry Churchill, a consultant um, with Savory Bay. She's working on a, a variety of nature-based tourism uh, projects, and you can participate as well if you'd like to give us a call um, in the program, one 625 But we do have a caller right now. Um, if you'd give us your name and, and the ta- town you're calling from, that would be great, and then go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, it's Peter from uh, Sedgwick. Um, I've been in the marine heritage business for about 40 years, and I'm listening to this with a grinding my teeth with irony and sense of deja vu uh-huh. and frustration, um, having been on the other side and, and, and constantly dealing with the indifference of government and the indifference of the tourism industry to, to the, the cultural preservation movement, which is well-established in lots of different ways in, in, in many places, not only in Maine. And um, uh, while I love the idea of, of, of these things all being originated from the bottom up, the real problem is that there is no vision from the top down, and that may be, um, Spain may er- say that's not true, but in fact it's mostly brochure thinking and, and not much more in my view. Uh, there is a spectacular example of how it can succeed in Europe, uh, where there is an organization that actually creates funds, publicizes, and gives grants to organizations uh, united through cultural itineraries. And uh, they publicize these things. They, they provide the, the funding to make sure that they're well-signed, uh, they're marketed, uh, grants are given to the individual organizations along the way, and it is a measurable outcome. I mean, there has been tremendous uh, response to it uh, that can be measured in dollars and uh, in the hotels and restaurants and, 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 and along the way. And uh, while I think Newfoundland is an interesting example, I, I would really urge you to go look at uh, look at that. You can see it on the web. I think it's called the Institute for Cultural Itineraries. Uh, it's private, quasi-government, funded by government, by the European Union governments. But uh, it needs top-down vision and uh, because there are many organizations with good intentions uh, doing it now, both building maritime museums. They're all floundering. They're all seeing declining, um, declining uh, admissions uh, grants, uh, etc. So, Great idea, but um, I worry about the substance. 
Well, what's your answer to it? You've been obviously an observer and a participant. Fred's been doing this, um, beating on the, the government drum for years and years. We're not getting any response. So, you know, when you beat on that drum forever and you don't get the response, what else do you do? Well, don't I you start at the grassroots, sir? Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, I certainly want to, don't want to denigrate that because it's real, it's authentic, and that's what, what gives it substance. But, but you see it all the time where government comes in and they say, well, we're going to talk about the creative capital, for example. Maine has its tremendous arts community, and yet, you know, the Arts Council is struggling. It, 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 it doesn't get funded anywhere near what it could be, and with measurable impact. I mean, art studio trails, for example, for artists, uh, to, which, would, which, which would, would help uh, artists sell their work and provide people following itineraries, uh, book barns, uh, uh, maritime heritage sites, nature centers. There are many, many different things that are unique to Maine, which actually can have fairly good, measurable results if government actually puts any substance behind the, the lip service. My problem with this is, is that they're not analyzing it even from an economic point of view. I mean, the creative, they, they talk about creative capital in Maine, but they don't invest in it. And that's the real problem. Um, and, it, 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 and so what Europe is showing is that there is, there is actual return that can be calculated in, in the economic vitality of the, of, the, of, the, of the community, just as it is in the, in the, in the conservation or heritage uh, uh, understanding. Great. Well, thank you for your comments. We'll see sure. if other callers have uh, similar or different views um, yep. here on Talk of the Towns. Um, you're tuned to the Talk of the Towns, of course, one 625 9378 Fred, I think of, of uh, some of my work with Mount Desert Island Tomorrow years ago, and, and I remember Jill Goldthwaite, who was a co-host on this program, saying, you know, we can't wait for government. We're going to have to do it ourselves. That's the sense that I get the, that, that you're looking at. But you've, you've been trying to get the state and others to, to think about these strategic investments. And as this caller said, there's demonstrable uh, returns that you could get for those investments. But Maine's a very small state, and it doesn't have a lot of money. Well, that, you know, of course, that's a, that is a problem. Um, you know, I, I can speak to uh, uh, the, t the tourism budget, um, which uh, is derived from a... Uh, uh, a mechanism that's in place that that uh, is uh, is supplied from the uh, uh, meals and lodging tax, a percentage of that. Um, but but in any event, um, that that tax probably generates around. I think I think the number was like 430 million, uh, and it, it and it goes into the general fund. Uh, the the mechanism that's in place. Uh, as I said, gives gives to the, the Office of Tourism a percentage of that, and that, that amounts to around $9 million mm -hmm. or something like that. It's not nearly enough. Mm -hmm. uh, all the things this caller said, uh, I, I know, are certainly on, on somebody's agenda someplace, uh, but uh, with, without without the, the funding that, that we really should have, and when you look at other other states, are, a lot of our competitors right here in the Northeast, uh, their budgets are, are much bigger. So I, I, I think I think w within government, uh, the, the will is there, but the means to do it uh, is limited. And, and I think we need to maybe look at some more um, uh, public-private um, uh, kinds of partnerships uh, that that could be an answer, and mm -hmm. we we've uh, we're kicking that around too in, in uh, the tourism commission committees. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the um, uh, 
the Vacation Land Resources Committee, which all of you are part of, and, and that's been uh, consistently looking at local uh, community initiatives and assets and trying to build on those assets and maybe talking about some public-private partnerships. Sherry, tell us a little bit about the, that committee. Yeah, I think Natalie may have been one of the... Were you? No, I came in after it was already. <laughs> okay, well, I know you've been there longer than I have. Um, the Vacation Land Resources Committee is made up, um, well, first of all, it's it's um, a committee of the Down East RCNDA, the resources, resource. Conservation and development. Oh, thank you. And um, it's, oh gosh, it's been around for 10, 12 years, Natalie? Yeah. I think 1995, 96, I was involved with it back okay. when we did the original destiny plan. Okay, and it's made up of um, various partners, of course, all of us around the table with the exclusion of you, mm -hmm. Ron. Um, we have um, a, a member from the Washington County Council of Governments, um, Stephanie Clement from Friends of Acadia, um, a, a great group of volunteers um, from the greater um, Washington and Hancock counties. Um, and so some of the projects we're working on um, currently, of course, they're helping us out with this Down East Nature-Based Tourism Initiative. And to refer back to the caller we just had, I'd like to say that this is actually a program that has come from the top down. This is a, fund, a government-funded program through the main office of tourism, a three-year project to look at our assets, some of um, the overlooked assets that we have in the two-county area. Um, you know, we have a, a great stream of tourists coming from all over the place, and uh, they tend to go to Acadia National Park, and they may be missing some really, really great spots. Um, and so what we're hoping to do um, through a long assessment pro process um, is develop um, a program for branding the two-county area, the downiest area, and get people into some of these other spots and hopefully spur some economic development in the process. Um, so I, I just want to say that there is government funding. It's it's not enough, as Fred said. Um, we always want more. Even if we did have a lot, we'd want more. Um, but but it's there, and I would encourage this caller to um, maybe even think about getting involved with the Vacation Land Resources <laughs> Committee because right. it sounds like he does have some ideas, and I know I will be checking out the website um, that he referred us to. Great. Great. Other other um, kind of uh, commentary on uh, the Vacation Resources Committee, Natalie. You've seen its work over a number of years. Talk about the destiny. Um, uh, there was a couple of uh, plans um, that have come out that really help um, bring uh, a focus to some of these tourism initiatives. Yeah, um, I can talk about that, but then I also want to talk to the caller because I think yes. you made some great points. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, in the, sometime in the mid '90s, a group of folks from the Down East region. Um, came together, a variety of different um, interests came together to create uh, a long-term strategic plan for the development of tourism uh, in the Down East region, focusing on uh, tourism for conservation, economic development, cultural preservation, uh, local involvement, and educational initiatives, sort of five areas. Um, and this group of folks, really visionary folks, um, did a lot, a lot of work to come up with a whole suite of strategies to achieve sort of these five areas via tourism and via specifically sustainable tourism. Um, and how would you define that term? 
so sustainable tourism being uh, tourism initiatives, in the case of the Vacation Land Resources Committee and the Destiny Plan, tourism initiatives that um, pay attention to sort of those five areas, that okay. where there's local initiative involved in the tourism effort, where it pays attention to um, cultural issues, economic, and hopefully is a, is a driver of economic development, um, and also uh, proceeds lightly on the environment, and hopefully even contributes to the preservation of, okay. of natural areas. Um, and uh, so this group basically came out with, we keep referring to DESTINY, it stands for the Down East Sustainable Tourism Initiative. Um, and the initial strategic plan, this first DESTINY plan was, came out, um, it was for a period leading up to 2000, and now we're in the middle of attempting to implement some of the strategies from the second plan, which is um, DESTINY 2010, mm -hmm. so, so leading up to now. And so through that process, there's been a whole suite of uh, workshops and um, products. For example, a few years back, we produced um, the uh, not uh, resource guide for sustainable tourism in all sorts of different areas related to greening your business, to um, the economic aspect of sustaining a business, um, which is an important part of sustainable tourism that needs to be included in the discussion is you can't have sustainable tourism if the businesses can't sustain themselves. <laughs> right, so right. Um, the economic piece is often overlooked, but we try to we try to pay attention to it. So this was well. a tool um, directly for um, tourism businesses. Um, this this guide. Yes. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's still uh, very much available. Um, you can find it um, on the University of Maine Sea Grant website, which is www.seagrant.umaine.edu. Um, and uh, if you zero in on uh, just do a search for tourism on that site. It'll take you to mm. it. Um, and you can also find it on the Vacation Land Resources Committee website. And you said you wanted to respond to the to, to the call. Yeah, um, I think Peter made a lot of really great points, and um, I'm really hope that I hoping I can figure out a way to catch up with him individually somehow. So um, uh, because. Um, I think the thing that really struck me from what Peter was saying was the lack of funding and the lack of leadership at the top. And um, what occurs to me is um, the mandate of the main office of tourism is pretty much directed towards marketing and promotion, which is kind of the brochure effect that Peter was referring to. And for me, what I think needs to happen is uh, some leadership at the top level, not just from the Office of Tourism, but from sort of the recognition and the leadership that successful community development with uh, a look at tourism as one of those tools towards community development actually needs to cross a multiple different, mm. a multiple array of agencies. So mm. it, it's planning, it's tourism, it's marine resources. Um, so it's, it sort of needs to be a multi-pronged approach, not just relying on the Office of Tourism to help us move forward with some of these initiatives, but more a cross-agency approach. Um, and that, that, like Peter said, takes a lot of vision and a lot of leadership. Great. Fred? Well, it, it, to that end, though, what, what is going on uh, in uh, the Office of Tourism under, under the, the director, I've uh, been there for two or three years now, Pat Altman, uh, has really reached out to the other state agencies, uh, IFNW, uh, DOC, DOT, and so forth, and formed a, a tourism sub-cabinet. So there, there, again, there, there is some awareness of this and some activity in that direction. And as a matter of fact, uh, those agencies just uh, uh, last week um, uh, addressed uh, one of the key committees of the Tourism Commission uh, telling 
what they who they were what what their mission was uh, what they were doing what funding they had or didn't have mostly didn't have mm. uh, and uh, uh, trying to, to open a dialogue and, and create a bridge over which we can both travel to see what we can do to help each other and uh, so so there are some things uh, they, they may they may be very lacking in a lot of ways but I think the awareness is there the interest is there um, it's just I think mostly the money is not there mm. well again I, w- what I hear continually from folks is that we we wish we had a different a- economy that would provide that kind of thing but it really is going to take people saying I'd like to pay more taxes <laughs> to support these kinds of things. And I don't hear that a lot. <laughs> I hear people saying, I'm, I, I can't pay my taxes. So we've got a dilemma here in our society about what, what's government for and what's government funding for and what's taxation is all about. And maybe redirecting, as, as Pat's trying to do, is bringing people together so that they can use a little bit of those budgets to further some of these causes is the way to, way to go. Yeah, and yeah. I, think that's, I think that's right, Ron. I think that's a, a good step in the right direction. I mean, it, it, obviously, everyone would like more but nobody wants to pay more you know it, it's it's sort of the everyone wants to go to heaven but no one wants to die you know <laughs> well so you, you've talked about public private partnerships and it seems mm-hmm. like there's something that we have to pay attention to there now down east tourism businesses are not flush with money um, most of these folks are are struggling to be sustainable um, but, so what's the private partnership that we might envision to bring some of these things together? You're doing it, I think, through the through the fisheries trail. This is not just a government program. It's not just a, a, a entrepreneur program. It's a combination of people, is it not, Sherry? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. But just to um, state something that really needs to be understood by businesses in the state of Maine. When we say tourism-related businesses, um, something that's come through in a lot of my work is businesses don't necessarily understand the relationship to the tourism community. And I can't express Mm. enough that if you're a business owner in the state of Maine, you are catering to the tourism community. Mm. If you're a gas station owner, you know, you might be selling maps to the state, um, to visitors from out of state. Um, You're selling fuel for these Mm -hmm. people to drive to their next destination, food. People need to be thinking out of the box mm-hmm. more and um, really trying to tap into this incredible resource that we do have in the state of Maine. So you're saying that, that because um, Maine is such a special place, people are going to find us and everything is conne- connected. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So examples of this, this public-private partnership as you might see going forward, how might you see some of these things going forward? Fred? Well, uh, there there are a number of possibilities. I, you know, I think obviously <clears throat> where 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 we look first is 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 at the tourism infrastructure and what is or isn't there and, and what what can be. Um, the, there's there's a a, a a real need for for more restroom facilities, as it were. Okay. Uh, you know, just just as one example, and there there are uh, there's an example or two of, of where public private partnerships have been able to to, to put those up in in a remote area. Uh, it may not be the most glamorous <laughs> approach, but I mean, <laughs> got to uh, have them. But I think I think the work that the VRC is doing, the Vacation and Resources Committee, I think lays the groundwork for identifying. Um, what what those potential partnerships are, mm. uh, and I think that uh, again going back to to uh, uh, what Eastport has done, and I think Lubeck to to some extent is mm-hmm. beginning to do that and beginning to pick up on that. I think those kinds 
those kinds of, of community uh, and, and grassroots uh, bottom-up kind of thing are, are going to identify those partnerships and I think as we go along and see more and more of a of, of a of a squeeze on on the state budget that it's going to be very clear that that in in some cases if if we want to do things we're going to have to do them in 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 that manner mm. um, we're, we're talking about um, marine heritage tourism in the studio with us our Fred Cook who you just heard from from Downey Sinecadia Regional Tourism, Sherry Churchill, Savory Bay, she's a consultant on nature-based tourism, and Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant. You can participate as well if you'd like to give us a call in the last uh, 10 minutes or so, 1-866-625-9378. Natalie, you wanted to make a point? Yeah, um, you were asking about um, sort of examples of public-private partnerships, and um, I wanted to share sort of one of the examples that I think is a really great model. That's the Maine Island Trail Association, which is a really fantastic model of public-private partnerships where um, basically the Maine Island Trail is uh, a trail that connects a series of islands, kind of in a connect-the-dot fashion, in a trail format up and down the coast from Portland all the way to, actually south of Portland now, all the way to the Canadian border um, along the coast. And um, what's particularly interesting is that um, many of the sites on the trail are public. They're public islands um, and public waterfront sites, and many are private. Um, <clears throat> the public sites are under the jurisdiction of the Bureau of Parks and Lands. Um, the private sites are private landowners who have entered into uh, sort of handshake agreements with the Maine Island Trail Association, which is a private nonprofit, um, sort of entrusting the Maine Island Trail Association and their volunteers to conduct stewardship on mm. those islands and make sure that those islands maintain their character um, and their sort of ecological integrity. And the state has entrusted this private nonprofit with the management of the public islands. So here's a private nonprofit who's entered into partnership with private landowners as well as the state of Maine to manage a natural resource for the purpose of both conservation and maintaining access to the mm -hmm. resource for um, members of the public on the public islands and members of the association on the private islands. Um, so it's a really unique model that has been around in Maine. Many of our listeners probably know the Maine Island Trail um, for probably, I think we just had our, I say we because I've been a member and have been on the board in the past for, but the trail's been around for about 20 years. Years, um, and now the model has been uh, followed all over the country, all over North America. Um, and it's a, it's a really neat model that has enabled um, sort of this dual mission of access to the resource for visitors and for locals as well as conservation. Cherry, mm -hmm. wanted to add something? Or? Yeah, actually, um, there's a program. I'm not sure what stage they're at in development now, but the Maine Community Foundation has launched a program, and maybe I forget the exact name of it. You guys can help me if you remember, where hoteliers' bed and breakfast can add on a surcharge to willing guests, um, and this all gets pooled. And later on, apparently, programs from these regions can apply for funding for infrastructure improvements um, in their community. So that could go toward um, interpretive signage, for instance, maybe land purchases. Um, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of them. And um, like I said, I don't know what stage of development it is. But that's an example of mm. um, showing people are willing to pay more. 
Right. And I th that, that notion of willing <laughs> um, participants, most people who come to Maine think it's a bargain. <laughs> and exactly. um, they don't really care whether there's a 5% tax or a 10% tax. They're going to come to Maine. But Maine business owners are, are saying, oh, no, they won't come because we might add an, another percent. This is going to give people a chance to test that theory out and then put that money back into infrastructure that might be helpful to the industry that, that they hope to d grow and develop. It's a great idea. Other plans or ideas that you would like to share with listeners in terms of, of how you're using these, these committees, um, these kind of planning processes to help people at the community level or <coughs> private entrepreneurs to think about tourism as, as an opportunity uh, for them? Fred? Well, I, I think uh, that's uh, kind of what we call the ripple effect, uh -huh. and, and it really it goes beyond what Sherry said even to uh, um, uh, carpenters and, uh, uh, and people who, who uh, are, are impacted by the success of, of, a, of the tourism uh, in, the, in their community. And then those tourism businesses in turn may expand their business and, and, and need a contractor. Uh, I remember uh, a few years back, Jack Quirk uh, from Jack Quirk Auto uh, came to the governor's conference and spoke and said that um, his his talk was I'm in the tourism business, mm. and he explained why um, it was important uh, for you know, if if tourism succeeded, then those people would be buying cars and, and so on. So uh, you know there there's there is there's a there's a a lot to that. Uh, One of the things that struck me is, is, Natalie, you were talking about the notion of sustainable tourism as, a, it, as opposed to another form of tourism, I suppose. I mean, if, if we've got that. And, and I happen to live in the town of Bar Harbor, and many people in down east Maine says, we don't want to be like Bar Harbor. Well, that's, that, you know, there's some good reasons that they might feel that way. What's, what's different about what th the things that you're talking about that it would distinguish it from a Bar Harbor, a Booth Bay Harbor, a um, Martha's Vineyard, uh, you know, what's different about what the kinds of things that you're talking about? Sherry, got some, some thoughts about what's different so that people might say, I choose that as a form of tourism that I could endorse, I could really get behind. I think people are starting to um, think about tourism differently, maybe um, they're not just destination-bound. They want to have the experience. Uh -huh. They want to have the face-to-face -face interaction with the local person and get in a sense of um, the culture. We do have a culture here yes. in Down East Maine, for sure. The accents <laughs> are great. And um, I think there's also a lot of interest, I'm starting to sense, in niche-based tourism, and we're seeing this with the Ice Age Trail with the birding trail that was just developed. We just had a lighthouse celebration in the state of Maine, the night skies celebration. And this is all niche mm. tourism. And so I think that's fascinating. So reaching out to smaller groups of people who might not overwhelm a community. So a, a community might not feel overwhelmed by tourism as they see some examples. We have a caller. Let's take that call and see what their question or comment is. Go ahead. Hello, yes. this is uh, Dick Gregor from uh, West Brooksville. Yes. Hi, how are you? Great. I work in sustainable construction, and uh, I just would throw out there, uh, we say if it's not sustainable, it's not affordable. Uh, there's no question on affordability. Just uh, picture the model of unsustainable tourism <laughs> or construction or anything else. That's right. Great. Great thoughts. And, and, and are you affected by tourism in some way in your business, Absolutely. do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's part of the, uh, of the uh, economy. Great. 
Well, thanks, thanks. for that. Thanks for that thought. Yeah, but, just remember, if it's not sustainable, it's not affordable. That's okay. great. That's great. Bye-bye. Sherry? Yeah, I just want to add to, um, to the comments I made before. If somebody comes to the state of Maine and they have an experience that th- th- something they're going to remember when they take home, chances are they're going to want to come back. Mm-hmm. And um, this construction person, who, gentleman who just called, he may be seeing people who, who visited the state of Maine several years ago, came back for another summer, and now they decide they want to live here. They appreciate this place, and that's going to make them a very conscious um, person, visitor, mm-hmm. or resident of the state of Maine, and that's, that's a great mm-hmm. thing. Going back to Newfoundland, uh, Natalie, um, you, you probably encountered some visitors when you were there as a, as a sabbatical participant. Um, why were they traveling to Newfoundland? What, what, what do you think was, was drawing them that, to that relatively isolated place? But some people in Washington County, parts of Hancock <coughs> County, might s- sense a sense of isolation for themselves because they're not getting the visitation that Acadia National Park is. So what was drawing some of those people to Newfoundland? Um, I think people who make the effort to go all the way to Newfoundland or all the way to down east Maine beyond Acadia um, share a lot of characteristics and uh, the folks I met and we encountered down here as well are uh, tend to be um, people who are really looking for the off the beaten path experience and I can't remember if it was Fred or Sherry but sort of that authentic uh, opportunity to immerse themselves in what a place is really all about not a manufactured experience Um, in fact the Newfoundland equivalent of their Office of Tourism has one of their slogans is, um, it's not Disneyland. Um, so they're really looking for that kind of off, uh, not manufactured and off the beaten path experience. Right. And that's what Down East Maine has to offer in so many of our, our communities. I believe we have another caller, very quick call. Um, let's go ahead and take that question or comment qu- briefly, please. Go ahead. Hi, this is Phil calling from Vinyl Haven. I want to take issue with the suggestion that visitors to the state don't care whether the sales tax is 5% or 10%. Okay. The notion that we can legitimately balance the state's own budget and resolve our own economic woes on the backs of those people is ill-advised. But could could you imagine that um, some of those folks would say, I'd be happy to pay a voluntary tax that would then support some of the tourism infrastructure that they're appreciating? Sure, I could yeah. do that. Okay, great. But, uh, but raising the sales tax on lodging is uh, is just balancing our problems on the backs of other people. Because it's going into the general fund in that case. That's right. Okay, thanks for your clarification. That's very helpful. Thank you. Talk of the towns, and we're about to ready to wrap up. So I'm going to ask my last question. What are your hopes uh, for this kind of sustainable tourism, in this case marine heritage tourism, as you go forward? Um, uh, start with Sherry and then work our way around and end with Natalie. Sherry Churchill? Well, I I just really hope that people do um, think more and more about sustainable tourism and um, taking something away from the communities that they're visiting. I would like to be that kind of tourist. Mm-hmm. If I go on a trip, I want to, I, I want the flavor of the community. And um, yeah, so I really hope people t- take that to heart, the sustainability. Great. Fred? Yeah, uh, it, and we feel the same way. And, and the other the other thing, the reason that, that DART is, has been involved with, with the Vacation Land Resources Committee in that is that we, we really need to protect this resource. We need to protect what's special about this, this region and why people come here. So uh, I would, it's a joint thing coming together. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Natalie Sprinkle? 
Uh, just to go off on what these two were saying, I would just add that um, it's also an opportunity to protect for the visitors, but also protect what we love about the place for people who live here. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, I think, a very, it's to bring it back to the sort of the community level, um, protecting the community for us and for what we want as residents of our of our home. Um, and then it, if it's if it's a great place for us to live, then it'll be a great place for people to come visit and spend some great. money. Kind of a celebration of the culture. Yeah. Great. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music recorded. Thanks to our guests here in the studio, Natalie Springle of the University of Maine Sea Grant, Fred Cook of DART, Down East and Acadia Regional Tourism Board, Sherry Churchill, consultant on nature-based tourism with Savory Bay Environmental Planning and Project Management. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in with questions and comments. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from the Maine Marijuana Policy Initiative, presenting Harry's Harvest Ball at Harry Brown's Farm in Starks, Maine from October 2nd to the 4th, featuring Middle Eastern music and dancers, reggae funky horns backed by African rhythms, bluegrass, Americana, a late-night masquerade, circus performers, singing pirates, a pumpkin carving contest, art and healing workshops, and more. Tickets and information at www.harryshill.com.